Hi, I'm Benton Crane, and this is Raising Unicorns. On today's episode, we continue last week's conversation with the OG Harmon Brothers crew and uncover the business advantages of letting ad viewers decide what they want to watch instead of letting advertisers force feed them crap. That switch from we're going to force feed you whatever crap we feel like and you're a captive audience and so you're just going to deal with it to totally shifting the balance of power over to the viewer to say I can watch what I want to watch and I can skip what I want to skip and that forces us as advertisers to think and act fundamentally different than what it had always been in the past. It was painful at the beginning for a lot of advertisers. For us, it was an opportunity, but yeah. for most advertisers, we, it's like this painful we, we very much viewed it as an opportunity. It was all about, oh man, we know we can make stuff that's entertaining enough to hook people in and get them to watch all the way through. And that's a little bit, I mean, we talk in terms of a hook for our ads, something that really grabs people in. And when you have five seconds to work with there, which is now, you know, two or three seconds on Facebook as people scroll through, mm -hmm. but then we really had to think about how to make that first five seconds super interesting. And if you go back to our original ads, they're not interesting anymore. You go back and watch the original Aura Brush ad, which had tons of people loved it and thought it was a big deal. It's not that funny. All humor is kind of like it's relative, relative, relative to its time. time. Yep. But we just were better than the stuff out of the time, so we were winning the game. Another thing is this realization that we have to shoot super tight. All YouTubers would be like this. And if you asked a filmmaker to come in, they'd be like, it's gotta be wide. It's gotta, gotta be wide. I need to show uh -huh. this. I need to frame it out just the way I'm taught for a theater screen. But we're looking at little phone screens, yeah. which means the face, the eyes have to be like really big and to see their mouth expressions and facial expressions. So we were shooting commercials that were uncomfortably tight for the time period. Every director of photography or the person that was in charge of the cinematography of the ad, we were always pushing them. No, go tighter. Go tighter. No, you gotta crop in more. We'd get no. them as tight as you could on it would set. drive them crazy. And then in the editing, we'd be like, crop it in. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, you didn't go tight enough. Yes. That's, I mean, we lost a lot of resolution yeah. <laughs> back in those days by cropping in so much. In, That's just because we were making up for, for DPs that were trained in film school. Yeah. Let's fast forward to today. Daniel, you are now the creator of the Tuttle Twins show doing a whole entire TV series. Jeff is the chief content officer at Angel Studios, which is pioneering an entire new form of studio to compete with the incumbent Hollywood studios. I wanna hear from each of you how that moment, that skip ad moment, laid the foundation for the work that you're doing today, 15 years after that. TV or movie making was not even on my radar until my 20s, because we grew up in Idaho on a farm, three TV stations. You could get a fourth one if you like put a hanger on the antenna and hung Some it up. Tin foil or Yeah, <laughs> and hung it up from the curtains. And then you could get PBS, old tube style TV where, you know, if you break them, they explode. Those kind of TVs. Um, I don't think a lot of people broke TVs and know that they explode, oh, but they people, do. People in Idaho. <laughs> people in Idaho know that. <laughs> Especially when your neighbors are giving, because they're poor, they're giving you their old stuff. <laughs> Use it till it breaks and then shoot it. <laughs> yeah. and shoot. Use it till it breaks and then throw it out of the treehouse. <laughs> back of a pickup truck. Uh, or yeah, yeah, we broke, we, there's lots of different ways to break TVs. <laughs> yeah. um, and they do explode and like smoke comes out of the, dust comes out of the inside. But yeah, it just it wasn't even on the radar until almost all my roommates were in film. And it, so there's like this slow progression of getting in the film world. And Daniel growing up was, had like a photographic memory for ads. So I think he was always interested in ads. He went into that industry. And, and for quoting movies. 
Yeah, both movies and ads. I like he to just memorize yeah. them. But when you're watching <laughs> in the olden days, you couldn't like the only way you could rewind and watch is get a cassette tape, record it, which we didn't have the option of doing. So he would just get to watch them like once or twice during the little bit of time TV time we had, and so he would like commit them to memory. <laughs> <laughs> And then he became your recorder. For the <laughs> yes, yeah, and he would quote them while we're out working on the farm or whatever. The funny ones. He liked the funny ones. Yeah. There was that element. It was reading the book Creativity Inc. That there was Pixar this Pixar story, right? Pixar story. That there was this moment where I was like, they were an ad agency. And we had created an ad agency. Pixar. <laughs> yeah. Pixar specifically was an ad. Yes. They were doing ads. Uh -huh. They were doing ads. Yeah, you can go YouTube, yep. Pixar ads, and there's whole playlists. And of after Orderbrush, it was our first one. Brought in a VP from Procter & Gamble. He came in, became the CEO. It took a different direction. We didn't grow up with that company. We moved on. Started an ad agency, Harmon Brothers, did Poopery, Squatty Potty, Purple, Lumi, us as brothers, we all left. And then eventually, I think most of that, like all the people we really wanted from that team, from the Orbrush team, came over with us. And we just were able to build on the blocks that we had set up before and learn a little bit more and a little bit more. And then there was this reading Creativity Inc. It was like, oh, they were an ad company too. And they moved into content. And I love watching movies. I mean, the first movie I watched, I think I was eight years old, watched Aladdin in theaters. And I just remember that opening scene where down in the- Cave of Wonders. The Cave of Wonders and that whole scene and just being like, Drew you in? Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. It was this magical experience. They had I a bunch about of 3D weeks. work in there and stuff. Yeah, go work on farms because we would work pretty young and just dream about that movie for weeks. And then Lion King was like even a step up from that. We watched them in the Dollar Show months after they had come out, but they were new to us. I think we watched them on Tuesday night in the Dollar Theater. Discount night, 25 cents. Yeah, not quite. Uh, but but it's a discount off the dollar. Those those moments, I had this. I think we all had this strong affinity for movies. We love movies, but it was reading that book that made me go, oh, could we become that? Like just kind of like planted the seed. And we had been doing long formats, which means we have to tell stories and it's good content. And we have been told so many times in the comments by people reaching out to us, investors saying, why don't you guys turn these into TV series? Why don't you, we even did a YouTube series. Daniel led the YouTube series, Diary of a Dirty Tongue. That was still back at Ourobrush. Yeah, and he did that with Joel and yeah. Dave Ackerman. And he led that at Ourobrush where we built this YouTube series back in, was it 2010? Yeah, we were doing a video a week for mm -hmm. two years straight. For two years straight, and we did it on a shoestring budget. I mean, we set up Morgan the Orbrush Tongue's apartment, which you can go look up his stuff, at least all the ones that weren't deleted by the acquiring company that thought they were probably not woke enough or something. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely weren't woke. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, this giant human tongue is running his own vlog, and that got hundreds of thousands of subscribers. I mean, it was the very first first brand played YouTube vlog and probably one of the most successful ever. And Daniel and Joel and Dave Ackerman did that one. And so we're, we're just slowly like entering into this new space of content that's long form. And then eventually Neil comes to me, who's our older brother, and he says, Jeff, we should make this filtering company. It's now called VidAngel. And he said, if we do filtering, there's a whole bunch of people We'd been reading Clayton Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma, and 
<laughs> you serve unserved markets. He's like, all the people who want filtering, which is where you take out like sex scenes or rape scenes out of Game of Thrones or beheading scenes or nudity or any... You, whatever you just, the viewer doesn't want Whatever the viewer doesn't want. It's like a high-tech remote. It just skips stuff. And he said, there's a whole bunch of people that want this. We can create an audience big enough to become a distributor and we create our own content. And I was like, all right, let's do that. <laughs> you know? And so that's, that's the beginning of what's now Angel Studios and running one of the top five TV, what I think will eventually be the number one TV series in the world, The Chosen. One of the things that I find so fascinating about your approach at Angel Studios is that it puts the viewer in the driver's seat. The viewer is yes. in control. Yep. And I feel like those roots tie all the way back to everything we just talked about with that skip button. That's really interesting because, yeah, the whole idea here is, is that we feel like the relationship between the creators and the viewers in Hollywood is almost abusive. The creator just creates whatever they want and they say, I mean, now I've talked to executives from high-end Fox and Warner Brothers and we're now rubbing shoulders with the top executives and we talk to people who've been in their writers' rooms and stuff and they say the mentality in Hollywood is we dictate what middle America watches. We're going to dictate to them what they watch because we're the people who know. We're the refined, we're the elite. And Angel Studios is named Angel because it's the angels that go and fund the content and they have control. That mentality sounds incredibly similar to the advertisers of 20 years ago, right? <laughs> yes. So we decide. Yes. yes. Well, it's really interesting the way you're connecting the dots because I don't think I've connected them in that articulate of a way. It's intuition. You're figuring out how to connect that it's all the same principles. Viewer get, has control. Jeffrey mentioned that we had done The Diary of a Dirty Tongue, which was a series of over 100 videos over the course of two years. So I learned the craft of filmmaking just by doing it every single week. When we started Harmon Brothers and did Poopery and Squatty Potty and Purple and Chatbooks and Fiberfix and all these different ads, we kept seeing come up again in the comments people saying things like, this character would be great in a TV show or like, this is better than half the content I watch and those mm -hmm. kinds of things kept coming up about like how entertaining they were. I could watch this for they hours. Were. Yeah, I could watch this character for hours. Poopery was replacing dinner table conversations about TV series, about the latest soap opera. Yeah. They would talk about Poopery or Squatty Potty or, or Purple instead or, or Chatbooks. Yeah. That was a dinner table conversation, and there's this moment where you realize, oh, we're good at this. Yeah, it was like, oh, we can actually create content that people actually enjoy watching. We didn't set out, or at least in my mind, I wasn't setting out to make a TV show. I wasn't setting out to make feature films or anything like that. But over time, like Jeffrey said, after reading the book Creativity Inc., we started realizing we were actually following a lot of the processes that Pixar followed in order to create good content. The way that we would use collective brain around us, right, of the best opinions of different directors of photography or or, or directors or writers or just different people and to get feedback on our content and make sure that we were making things clear that they were funny in the way that needed to be funny. And over time, we started to believe, oh, we could do this as a TV show or as a feature someday. That bug started to be planted in my head at that point. And so when- Did it eventually start to become an itch? Yeah, it started to become an itch that I wanted to scratch. Within the agency, we had trained up a lot of different creative directors and directors and things to be able to make the ads themselves and got the agency to a point where I didn't have to be making all you know the content. I wasn't the creative director on each project. I wasn't the director on each thing where the workload was 
spread across a much larger group at that point and getting a lot more really smart brains involved. Along comes this book series written by Connor Boyack that I love, I bought the first copy of and read it to my kids that teaches kids about the principles of freedom and economics. And I'd never seen anything like this. It was something I, was, I had always wanted for my kids and I bought the first copy and then he started to make it into a series after the success of the first one. And I bought every copy after that. The book series starts to have so much success and is selling in the hundreds of thousands of copies to the point where Connor says, I want to make this into a TV series, right? I want to make this into an animated series. That's when I think Jeffrey started to kind of kick around the idea of like, I think our team would be good for that. And I was a little bit resistant to it at first of like, oh, if I'm gonna get into TV and features, I don't want it to be this one is the first one. I was just a little bit like, oh, I don't know about that. But then after I sat with it for a while, I was like, well, why not? <laughs> why not? Like, this is something I'm passionate about. I love freedom. I love economics. I love being able to teach my kids this stuff. We could take this really great foundation that Connor and Elijah Stanfield have created, and Elijah Stanfield being the illustrator, and we could build on it and create an even bigger universe with a TV series of characters that are just really funny and people can fall in love with, and that it can do kind of like our ads have been doing for all this time, where they're entertaining and teaching at the same time. And so it was actually after several conversations with you, of sitting down of like, oh, I kind of wrapped my head around it and really started to get passionate about the idea. And we approached Connor of like, hey. What better team than us? Yeah, why, why don't we do this um, TV series for you? And yeah, Connor was our client yeah. at that point. We were helping him with his marketing and we helped him grow the sales of the book series. And so we had built a lot of trust that way. And plus Connor has a long standing relationship with Jeffrey and they go way back. And so the relationship was there. And so we were able to make that strong argument of what better team than ours yeah. to tackle this. We mutually appreciated and respected each other's work and it made it so I was like, okay, let's do this thing together and Connor's the co-executive producer on the project and he helps ensure that the teaching is coming through with the integrity it needs to and with the clarity that it needs to and so he's a fantastic team member with that and it's so interesting that Tuttle Twins exists because of this sort of crowdfunding type concept that Angel stumbled onto when back when VidAngel was in its struggling days. VidAngel raised a whole bunch of money from crowdfunding. It was, uh, what was it, like $10 million or something along those lines? Yes, yeah, $10 million yeah, yeah. in five days. Yeah, you know, over the course of five days, $10, $10 million raised in crowdfunding. And I remember watching that and my eyes just being opened up and I sent an email to Neil and Jeffrey. I said, if you could do this for a company, why couldn't you do this for like a show? And then later on, fast forward, they end up doing this it. This is 2016. Yeah, this is 2016. What we didn't realize that it would eventually be branded Web3 this concept. Yeah, essentially, yeah, we were doing the some Web3 stuff. It's just ownership. Back then, yeah. Let's but, give everybody the ownership in the shows. Give your audience ownership. Eventually, that was applied to The Chosen, which is an enormous success. And then later on, we did it with Tuttle Twins, where we were able to raise $3.7 million from the crowd. We had the first season funded because of that concept. Anyway, yeah, I guess that's kind of the path through. And pe people have been receiving the series very much with hunger and open arms. And parents are just like, I've been wanting something like this my whole life. Because it's essentially that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm making this series that I wanted as a kid and that I want for my kids. And, and I think, you know, just to put a bow on that thought, not only was it crowdfunded and made possible by the crowd, but the approach you've taken in the creative process, you're involving the crowd 
yeah. throughout the creative process where yeah. everything from concepting to scripting, it gets in front of an audience long before the hit's final animation. Yeah, we have this whole process where we take a storybook form of the script and let our audience read it and then fill out a survey and give feedback and we take character designs and we give them a one, two, or three option and say, which one do you guys like the most? And we don't always go with exactly what they choose, but it informs decisions. It. But the data help, helps us make decisions for sure. And that feedback loop is so valuable as a creator, even if you don't always go with it, just knowing where your audience is at, because your gut might be right and it might be a really good starting point, but it also can be made better by catering to your audience. Guys, this has been a fun conversation. If you liked what you heard today, then give us a follow. If not, send this episode to your competitors. Maybe they'll hate it too. Either way, thanks for listening to Raising Unicorns.